Several years ago, I read a story, a news story from New York City. There was a man there named Roman Blum, and he was a contractor. He had been very successful. He moved here from Poland, and he was evidently a brilliant contractor and businessman, but he lived by himself. And when he got older, his lawyer kept trying to talk to him about having a will because he had a substantial amount of um, material goods, and he just never got around to it. And when he died, his estate was worth $40 million, and the state of New York got all of it. This makes me so sad. It's like throwing it down a hole and burning it. Um, that's my opinion. I want to talk to you today about claiming our inheritance as believers and as a body here, claiming our inheritance, taking hold of what God has provided for us, what God has promised us, what God has given us. We have a magnificent inheritance in Christ Jesus. Would you agree with me? Would you agree with me that you're not taking hold of all of the inheritance that He provided for you yet? But we're moving in that direction. I think about this a lot, these promises that are in the Scripture. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it for you. Hmm. There must be a disconnect between me asking in His name sometimes. You? That's a pretty huge statement. He said, he who's joined unto the Lord is one spirit with Him, 1 Corinthians six seventeen. So if the spirit of the living God and my spirit are joined together, there should be a powerful synergy that happens in my life to conform me to the image of Christ. Have I taken full hold of that inheritance yet? No, I haven't. But I want to. I want to move in that direction. I want to talk about how we take hold of our inheritance. Colossians 2 verse 9 says that in Him the fullness of all deity dwells, and we, being connected with Him, are filled with the overflow of His fullness. These are mind-boggling things that He has promised us and given to us in the new creation, in the new birth, which is part of our inheritance in Christ Jesus. And here's, here's the thing that we find out. Inheritance in God's mind is different than inheritance in our mind. What do I mean by that? Well, Dave and Brandon Bo talked about the book of Joshua some and taking the promised land, and I find this amazing. All through the book of Deuteronomy, it uses these phrase over and over again, I have given the land to you as your inheritance. Now, that sounds good. You gave it to me as my inheritance. Well, all I got to do is show up at the lawyer's office and give me the check, right? But that's not how God gives us our inheritance. It's different than that. He wants us to fight with Him to get what He has purchased for us. So in the book of Joshua, I've given you the inheritance of the land, but you got to go in there and fight the giants. you got to drive them all out. you gotta, you got to deal with the iron chariots. you got to go in there. But don't worry. I've given it to you, so I'm going to fight with you. And my purpose is that you obtain all of it. So that's... Father's heart for us, why do you suppose 
that He wants us to fight with Him, and He doesn't just give it. Look, God has got some really stout warrior angels, like, right, one angel and one knight wiped out the entire Assyrian army. Dude, Lord, why don't you go in there and take the Rephaim, the, the giants, just take them out. Just send one angel, he could clear the whole land in a few days. Because that's not the way that the Lord wants to partner with us. Our inheritance comes as we take hold with him, as we see its value, as we want it, and as we partner with the Lord by the power of his Holy Spirit to take hold of the inheritance that he's given us. It doesn't just fall on us automatically. It's not like the inheritance that we would think of coming to the lawyer's office, hear the reading of the will, and here's your check. That's not the way it happened, is it? In the book of Joshua, I love there's a story in chapter 17. I'm going to read just a few verses here. So in chapter 17 of Joshua, verses 14 through 18, I want to read this. This, this tickles me every time I read it. I just think it's so awesome. So the sons of Joseph, which is Ephraim and the half-tribe of Manasseh, come to Joshua, and they go, dude, look, we've got a bunch of people here. We need more land. We don't just need the hill territory. We need more land than that. I love the way that Joshua answers. So I want to read you. This is verse 14 of chapter 17 of Joshua. Then the sons of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, why have you given me only one lot and one portion for an inheritance to some numerous people whom the Lord has thus far blessed? Joshua said to them, if you're a numerous people, go up to the forest and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and of the Rephaim, which are the giants, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. The sons of Joseph said, the hill country is not enough for us, that's true, and all the Canaanites who live in the valley land have chariots of iron, both those who are in Bethshan and its towns and those who are in the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph and to Ephraim and to Manasseh, saying, You are numerous people, you have great power, and you have not one lot only. But the hill country shall be yours, for though it is a forest, you shall clear it, and to its farthest borders it shall be yours, for you shall drive out the Canaanites, even though they have chariots of iron, and even though they are strong. You want more? There is more. Joshua's, go get it! Who's stopping you? Go get it. Drive them out. Take the giants by the neck. Drive them out. Take their iron chairs. Push them out of the way. What are you waiting for? God is with you. He will help you. But if you don't take the initiative to fight with him, you don't get your inheritance. That's the way the Lord works. So why? The question is, why does he set things up that way? Why can we not get our full inheritance in Christ Jesus if we don't partner with him and fight with him. Let me ask you this question. What if the process of fighting with God and trusting his spirit in the battle and of not quitting when it gets hard is the very preparation that enables us to keep what God has given us and to rightly steward it? What if the process of, of the fight is actually what causes us to be strong enough to keep what he gave us? Because he might hand us a check and we go out and squander it, right? How many stories do you know of dynasties of wealthy families where the, the father, the grandfather worked their fingers to the bones and built this business up and they're multi-multi-millionaires and then their kids just get it given to them and they squander it and lose it in one generation? Why is that? 
They didn't have the mindset to be able to keep their inheritance. The fight itself prepares us to keep what He's given us. I think that's the wisdom of God, and that's the truth in our life with Christ Jesus as well. God's idea of inheritance is different than ours. We have inheritance as individuals. You have inheritance as family. I know as a dad, there's inheritance in my children. As they were growing up, there was lots of crying out to God. Yeah, he gave us the children. Yeah, he promised to bless them. Yeah, he promised to draw them to himself. But if we don't get in the fray with him and fight with him, then we don't partake of the inheritance that he has. There's a fight that has to happen. God is always down for a good fight. He likes it. He likes it when people stand up to him and they go, hey, I'm the greatest. I've made all this kingdom for myself. You did, Nebuchadnezzar? And God says, watch this. Not really. You're not really in control like you think. The Almighty. The process of fighting is part of our inheritance. I want to talk about three mindsets that you need to have, that we need to have in order to possess our inheritance. And this, we're going to talk about heart of the Father. So there's inheritance that we have as individuals. There's inheritance that you have in your individual calling with God that He's spoken to you. And this process is all the same. We have to partner with Him and take hold of it. And there's inheritance that we have as a body here in heart of the Father that we're stepping into. We're in a phase of new beginning. What do I think the new beginning is? I think largely it's us taking hold of our inheritance that God has given us. It's taking hold of our inheritance, the thing that he's promised us, the thing that he has had in his heart for this body. (coughs) Excuse me. So three mindsets of those who possess their inheritance. Matthew 11, verse 12, if you'll turn there with me. I've got just three verses and three points here. Then we're going to talk just briefly about our inheritance here at Heart of the Father and what that looks like and where we're going in our new beginning. Matthew 11, verse 12. I love this verse dearly. It's powerful. Okay, Matthew eleven twelve 12 says this. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. So the problem with this verse is, who are the violent men that take it by force? Are they the ones who are taking hold of the kingdom, or are they the ones who are persecuting? Like Herod, who put John in prison. Like the Pharisees, who pushed back against Jesus. Like the, the Jews, like the demon powers that are pushing back constantly against the kingdom. Who, who are the ones who are doing the violence? I think the answer is both. There is something about the kingdom when it is proclaimed. When John started proclaiming, the kingdom of heaven has come. There was a stirring in the hearts of people that had ears to hear that caused them to become radicalized in a good sense. And it also stirred up the resistance and demonic powers and the powers of the religious leaders who were motivated by demonic powers to push back against it. So you've got, whenever the kingdom is advancing with power, you've got this big explosion of turmoil and of grasping and of trying to take hold of it, and it's happening in both directions. I want to read you a few different translations of this verse. This is so powerful to me. 
From the days of John the Baptist until the present moment, the kingdom of heaven has been continuously taken by storm. And those who take it by storm are seizing it as a precious prize. So what does it mean to take it by storm? You're attacking a city. You're going up against the walls. Your army is charging the outside of the city, and they're standing up on the walls shooting arrows at you, pouring burning tar on your head. Seems like a pretty risky venture. So many of the translations use the word storming the kingdom because that really is the idea behind these words. Another translation, the kingdom of heaven is being taken by storm, and the strong and forceful ones claim it for themselves eagerly. Another translation, they are pressing into the realm of the heavens. These eager souls are storming it. The kingdom of the heavens is to be taken by storm, and only by storm do men lay hold of it. The kingdom of heaven is being stormed, and the stormers capture it. The kingdom of heaven is stormed, and the stormers will seize it. The kingdom of heaven is taken by desperate earnestness, and the earnest secure it. And then finally, the kingdom of heaven is forcefully proclaimed, and the forceful ones prize it highly and fully embrace it. There is a mindset that we have to have to possess our inheritance in God, whether it be our individual one, whether it be our one for our family, whether it be our particular calling, or whether it be as a body. This, this is the mindset. There's a desperation. I call it hope-filled desperation because there's a desperation if you're trapped underwater, right? You're trying to get up and breathe. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about a fearful desperation that you're, not, that you're going to die. Why is it a hope-filled desperation? Because when God gives an inheritance, he already promises he's going to fight with you. The outcome is predetermined if we'll partner with the Lord in the process. Storm it. Come on. Picture yourself charging the city to get your inheritance. It's inside of that city. Oh, no, I just want to go to the lawyer and have him put the check in my hand. That's not how you get your inheritance in God. There's a storming of the city. There's a taking of it. There's a desperation. The kingdom of heaven is not for the well-meaning. It's for the desperate. There's a desperation that the kingdom stirs up inside of the hearts of God's people who have ears to hear. And that desperation presses us. That's, I see this in um, lots of different people in church history. I love church history, revival history. One of the greatest examples of this that I've ever seen is a brother called John G. Lake. John Lake had one of the greatest healing ministries probably in the history of Christianity. Tens of thousands of incredible healings over a period of time in his ministry. You know how he got there? Sickness, he describes it in one of his books. Sickness swept through his family from the time he was born to the time that he became an adult, swept through his family. People were paralyzed, were invalids, were dying of disease, and it just wouldn't stop. He said, my father was a good businessman, and he spent all the money that he had on doctors, and they still kept dying. Then Lake got married to a beautiful lady. She got sick. They had a child, he got sick. Just this chronic kind of pattern that kept going. And here's what Lake said. There arose inside of my heart such a God cry for deliverance that it could not be denied. That's how the Lord processed with him 
Do I mean the Lord sent all that? No, but the Lord brought him through the process and, and caused him to fight with him, and he took hold of his inheritance, and his inheritance was that he brought healing to the masses around the world. They had doctors on their staff that would take the patients that were here. I, I love this when they do this. Catherine Kuhlman did the same thing. I, I appreciate that a lot because there is a lot of hucksterism out there, and I can say that being fully believing in the ministry of healing, but there is. But like they would have doctors examine them before and after the prayer on every occasion. Catherine Kuhlman, unless they passed four different um, criteria, they wouldn't put their testimonies in in the magazine, one of them was that their own personal physician had to sign off on it, that that's actually what happened. You know how many people were healed under Catherine Coleman's ministry? Three million people. Three million people. Phenomenal kinds of healings. One guy gave his testimony. He was at one of our meetings. He's an unbeliever. He starts to feel his chest burning inside of him, and he thinks he's having a heart attack, and he falls on the ground. And there's a lady there in the crowd. There's at these stadiums, and she comes up to him and says, hey, um, you're actually not having a heart attack. God's healing you. And he said, I hope so. He had had a pacemaker put in his chest. When he went back to his doctor, the pacemaker was gone. The scar was gone. Everything was gone. His heart was completely healed. And the doctor that he went back to got furious with him and said, what have you been doing? Who did you go to to get this taken out? He said, I went to this lady's healing meeting. He's like, you're lying. So his doctor wouldn't sign off on it. So that testimony never got in one of her books because his personal doctor was so furious at him. Those are the kinds of things that happen. What happened inside of Lake, and this is what we need inside of us to stir. It's, it's not that we cause something to happen because we emotionally stir ourselves up, but there's a connection with the heart of God, and there's a connection with His inheritance that He has for us that we have to connect our spirit with Him. And when that happens, there is a cry inside of us. This is what it was, you know, John Lake called it the God cry. That's a good expression. People that knew him said, Lake, the thing that I'll always remember about you is the prayer meetings that we had when you bellowed like a cow. And the rafters shook because you were crying out to God so earnestly. I know some people don't like that. It's okay. If you got your healing, you'd be okay with it. And what if your destiny is tied to you connecting to the God cry that's inside of you by the Holy Spirit? What if your destiny is tied to that? So, mindset number one, there's a hope-filled desperation. Number two, look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12. I'll read verse 11 as well. We desire that each of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience, notice, inherit the promises. Faith and patience. In this particular passage, there's lots of talk in the New Testament about perseverance, which is that 
quality of character where you don't quit when it gets hard. But this is actually patience, the time. So in this verse, the mindset is a confident patience where we don't quit because it takes too long. Justin, how long was it at IHOP when Mike Bickle, they started their prayer meetings? Ten years. Oh. That's patience. You keep pressing. Here, why can you do that? Because you know through faith, you know that God has promised you this, and so you don't quit because it takes too long. You keep pressing. Can I ask you, who is the father of our faith? Think about these. The father of our faith. Abraham. Abraham had a promise from God that he was going to have a son. How long did it take before the son was born from the initial time? So he promised him that he was going to have a son. Fifteen years later, he promised him again. Then ten years later, here comes Isaac. 25 years, because the Lord wanted to make good and sure that he knew when this boy comes, it's not because you're Don Juan, and it's not because your wife is so fertile. No, you're 100, and she's 90. You know that when this comes, I did it. I did it. David. He's anointed Samuel the prophet. Not one of his words fell to the ground ever. This is the most accurate prophet in all of Scripture, aside from the Lord Jesus. Not one of his words ever fell to the ground. He comes, he pours oil on the head of little David, shepherd boy. How long was it before David actually became king, even though he was anointed there by Samuel? Who who would like to have Samuel pour oil on your head? Yeah, you can use a bucket on me. How long was it before David was king? Fifteen years. Through faith and patience. So when we know that we have something from the Lord, a promise from the Lord, we don't quit because it takes too long. We keep holding on to that. He's going to do it. Hebrews 10, 36 You can flip over there. This is the third mindset. So hopeful, desperation, confident, patience. And then the last one, Hebrews 10.36, is courageous, perseverance. This is a great word. Verse 36, Hebrews 10. For you have need of endurance, steadfastness, perseverance, all the same word. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive, there's your inheritance, you may receive what was promised. What is perseverance? How is perseverance different than patience? Perseverance, one Greek scholar defines it this way. It's the ability to go beyond the breaking point and not to break. There's, so when you have perseverance, you don't quit because it gets hard. Let me back that up and say it again. When, when you have perseverance, you don't quit because it gets hard. This is an essential component of all Christian character and life. Do you know in the letters to the seven churches, in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, the most 
emphasized trait in those two chapters for the churches is perseverance. Count them. That is the most, that is the trait that Jesus characterizes and emphasizes more than any other, which should say a lot about how he values that. And it should say a lot also about us knowing that we're in the midst of it and we're trying to gain our inheritance. It's not just going to fall on us. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard, right? How many okay with things being hard sometimes? Okay, here's how we learn to fight with God. He's like, go down there. Yeah, there's giants. Yeah, there's iron chariots. So what? I'm with you. They're like, yeah, but there, there's giants and iron chariots. I, I know. I just told you that. What's the problem? God is with you, and he is giving you this inheritance. So it's really okay to have to press through. All right, so what do I want to talk about with our inheritance at Hadafim? What do I believe our inheritance is? We could talk about a lot of different things. I believe at the core of it is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. We've read these verses before, so I'm just going to refer to them. I believe this is what God is doing here and that He wants to do here. And that is that He is building us together in such a way that He is creating a temple so that he can have his permanent habitation here. There's one thing to have good services and have God visit. That's awesome. We all love that. But that's not what this is talking about. This is the permanent habitation of God where he's coming to dwell. And when God dwells in the house, crazy things happen. When God dwells in the house, crazy I believe that is our destiny. I believe that is the promise that the Lord has given us. It's in the Scripture, so we know it is. But what he's wanting to build here, and I believe this, and I believe that what we're doing in our new beginning is that we're stepping in to take hold of the promise and of the inheritance that he's given us as a people, as a body here. He wants to make this place, I believe with all of my heart and soul, a place where he permanently dwells in his habitation. When that happens, everything else is okay. When that happens, everything else is fixed. It's okay. I believe that. How does that happen? There's an atmosphere that we help to partner with him to create, okay? What does that atmosphere look like? I'm going to use two, two legs of what that looks like. One is the depth of relationship, okay? In my opinion, you guys do an awesome job with this. Can we still gain more ground? Absolutely. But, like, I personally have never been in a body where... There has been the depth of love and the immediate response. Like when there's a need in this body, this is so cool. When, I believe the Lord smiles on this. When there's a need in this body, everybody's like, yes. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. There's such a response, an overflowing response. It's beautiful. So the love is growing that's good. The depth of relationships are growing. Obviously, that takes time to, to have the depth of relationship. The number one emphasis in all of the New Testament letters about the church is what? Love. Oneness. Loving as I have loved you. Love one another. There, there's a supernatural element to that. So that's going to take, you know, continued moving and pushing toward that goal. But I, I just want to say from my perspective, and, you know, I see it from the inside, like, you guys are doing amazing with that. That's not flattery. That's just the truth. 
That's really beautiful. And I, I commend you for that. And I know we're moving in the right direction. So relationship is one. And here's another one that I want to emphasize for just a couple of minutes. Participation. We all have to put in our supply and the grace that we carry, we put in the supply. So I want to read you a verse out of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. And just make a couple comments about this. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble each one. That means everyone, right? Would that be the same as saying everyone? Each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. I want to read you um, just a comment on this verse from Bible scholar William Barclay um, that I like quite a bit. This is, this is pretty powerful. The really notable thing about an early church service must have been that almost everyone came feeling that he had both the privilege and the obligation of contributing something to it. A man did not come with the sole intention of being a passive listener. He came not only to receive but to give. Obviously, this had its dangers, for it's clear that in Corinth there were those who were too fond of the sound of their own voices. But nonetheless, the church must have been in those days much more, listen to this language, much more the real possession of the ordinary Christian. Like this is where we have to go. This is what we want. As leadership here, we want you to take possession. This is an employee-owned corporation. We want you guys to take ownership for the grace that you carry and to be part of putting in your supply. Now, I think, and I'm going to emphasize, the Wednesday night home meetings are the best venue for that to happen. So I'm encouraging you, like, if you haven't come to Wednesday night or if you're not signed up for Wednesday night, there's sheets out there. <coughs> Excuse me. And if we don't have enough, we'll make more groups. This is the best possible way. I can tell you from experience, all the ones that we've hosted at our home have been phenomenal. They've been tremendous. People putting in their supply, praying for each other, worship comes forth. It's just beautiful. It's a powerful time where everybody gets to put in what the grace that they carry into the supply and into the mix. And it's powerful. It's beautiful. Taking ownership back. It may well be that the church lost something when she delegated so much to the professional ministry and left so little to the ordinary church member. And it may well be that the blame lies not with the ministry for annexing those rights, but with the laity for abandoning them. Certainly, it is all too true that many church members think far more of what the church can do for them than of what they can do for the church and are very ready to criticize what is done, but very unready to take any share in doing the church work themselves. You, you know, you read quotes because you don't want to have to take the heat for saying something, but you're glad that somebody else said it. That, that's why you read quotes. So I'm asking you, we're just about to, to close out this service here. I'm, I'm asking you to seriously ponder and to pray before the Lord. I want to challenge you to become part that is the best possible venue for you to put in your supply. It happens on Sunday. 
on a limited basis, but there's different things that are going on here. But in the home, it is the best possible venue for everybody to be able to put their supply in. So I'm asking you, we, we want to take hold. How many would like to take hold of everything that the Lord has in His heart for this body? Come on, let's take hold of it. Let's take hold of it. So we have to partner in the process, right? Maybe we have to deal with some giants. Maybe we have to deal with some iron chariots. But I'm asking you guys to earnestly put it before the Lord. Like, don't dismiss. The, these meetings are not just something that we're adding on. This is actually us taking hold of our inheritance in this body where every member can put in their supply and their grace and every joint actually supplies. So I'm asking you to prayerfully consider it. Don't dismiss this. I really want to encourage you to be part of what God wants to do here. And I believe we cannot get there. See, see the, the great thing about this body, in, in my view, is that I think we're trying to take advantage of the best of both worlds, right? There's, there's powerful things that happen in a corporate gathering where worship, like what you had this morning, like that, that's really hard to do. I did home church for 20 years, so I, I do have some point of reference. It's, it's hard to get that same sense of dynamic and the, and the weightiness of God's presence in, in worship in, when you have just a few people in the home. It happens. It can happen. I'm just saying there's something that's powerful I believe um, that can happen in corporate. So, so let's take the both the best of both worlds, rather. So, but for us to put in our supply, we have we've got to step up to the plate of actually being part of the gatherings together in homes. We re, we really do. So I'm I'm asking you. Not, I don't want to say begging you, because I, I don't feel like that. But I'm I'm asking you to earnestly consider what the Lord would have. There's so many of you, like, I look out over this congregation and I see so much of a deposit of grace inside of you guys. And it really needs to have an outlet to be shared with other members of the body for them to be built up and strengthened. It really does. Sign-up sheets are out there. If we don't have enough, Keep signing on the sheets, and we'll split it up, and we'll make more. Okay? Really, really, really mean this. This is important. We are taking hold of our inheritance, but in order to do it, we got to be part of the process. All right. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. We rejoice in your great heart and for the plans that you have for this people for each of these people seated here, Lord, you have plans and purposes. You have an inheritance for us to get together. Father, would you give us the unction? Would you give us the God cry? Would you give us that determined patience and faith and the perseverance to continue and to not quit because things get hard or seem to take too long. Would you give us the heart that says, God, this is what you want and you shall have it. No matter what, you shall have it. Do that in us, Father, in a deeper way in this body, I pray. I thank you for every one of the men and women and children in this body. I thank you for your hand upon them and for the blessing that they are, Father. And I pray that you would strengthen, encourage them, lift them up, and draw each of us into a greater measure of your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.